This is the hottest place, 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 place. for big, big, big name interviews in Vancouver. Listen to it. Put it with Ryan Hayes and Big, big Mike. Mike, Mike, yeah. Mike. A legend, El Snow. How you doing, bud? Good. How are you? Good. Thank you for coming on and taking the time. Uh, thank you. Thank you for having me. How was your day today? You staying safe? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. I'm not going out in traffic. So, Where are boats you located these days? I'm in Louisville, Kentucky. Okay. And, uh, okay. The home of uh, bourbon. Hey, yep. Cheers to that. Okay, I wanted to let you know right off the bat that this is a drinking, smoking podcast. You're allowed to do whatever the hell you want on here. Every time we say, um, we're drinking the vodka. Ah, fantastic. So every every time I stutter or say um, we're gonna have a drinking game where we drink to that. Okay. Okay. Now that we're rocking, uh, who created the Job Squad? Who created the Job Squad? I did. It was a um, kind of a joke that I made backstage uh, when I was with WWF at the time on the first run. Um, I had a bit of a bad attitude and. Uh, was being kind of sarcastic and uh, being a bit of a smart ass. And um, it was at a point uh, when they were doing an angle in WWF where uh, they had all the gangs. They had Los Boricuas. They had uh, Undertaker had a gang. And then what the crazy thing is, a lot of the boys in the locker room at that time had gangs. Like you had the Click, you know, you had the yeah. Bone Crusher Street Crew. They had the Cowboys. There were a bunch of gangs in the locker room, which I just thought was ridiculous. So I told Cornette one day, I said, you know, I was going to start my own gang. I was going to call it the Job Squad. Uh, basically, you know, it was going to be me, Barry Horowitz, Chris Candido. None of us were jobbers because people don't understand what that term really is. But, you know, at the time I had a bad attitude anyway, so it didn't matter. And I was like, you know, I put together a crew of about five guys. That was what the gangs were. I was like, yeah, we'd be the I, most powerful gang in all of wrestling. And he's like, what are you talking about? How are you going to be the most powerful gang? I go, it's very simple. If Undertaker goes out there and tombstones Barry Horowitz, and Barry Horowitz gets up and dusts off his hair and walks out, who had the power in that match? Because the problem was there were a lot of the boys in the back that assumed because they won that they were really beating people. And they didn't realize that you don't really beat me. You know, I agree to do business with you and put you over or not. So yeah. a lot of guys kind of lost touch with reality there for a while. <laughs> so, that's totally true. One of these, basically these first 10 questions were written by my buddy in, in uh, Kansas city. So he's wondering these questions. I have a few more at the end of this. Uh, how is fighting yourself during the hardcore match? You put yourself through a table to win. Oh, Hey, listen, I, you know, let's face it. We all fight ourselves. And, you know, when we get back to a hotel room or we're, we're alone, you know, <laughs> you know, we always beat, beat ourselves up. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think it was on but, a rod. Yeah. It was just, you know, um, that was kind of the plan. I never had that conversation with Vince and I guess I probably should have, but the, what does everybody want? What does everybody need? What does everybody love? I didn't mean that as a double entendre even though it was i actually when if you pay attention 
when I'm doing it, I get angrier as I do it. Okay. And the reason I did was because I was trying to set the stage that I would get jealous at some point of the head. Um, here's a guy who has been wrestling for as long as I had at that time. All I wanted was to be the guy that everybody wanted, needed, loved. And it wasn't me. It was the head. So I was going to get <laughs> jealous of the head and I was going to basically turn on it and like, you know, attack it. And, uh, and basically what you would do with another person where you'd have fights in the back and things like that. I was going to do all of that with the head and treat it like it's a real person. So, yeah. One of my questions later on, I wrote the, it ended up, you ended up switching from the head to the chihuahua. Yeah. I think at the time, I think that was, and nobody came and actually had a conversation with me other than Vince Russo about the idea with the dog. But I think the motivation for doing that was that they were trying to get away from the head um, because they probably got some flack from parents and things like that, which the thing that people need to understand, okay, here are two things that people need to understand and accept, okay? First and foremost, you're not a victim, okay? I know you all like to believe you are, but you're not. And if there is something on your TV that you don't feel is appropriate for your children to watch, you can use this amazing tool called a remote. And you can turn the channel. Okay? And I, and, and I had this conversation numerous times with different news agencies that would show up and they'd be like, oh, you know, do you see, you know, do you, do you find this appropriate? And I go, well, if I didn't. I would sit there with my children, who I have numerous of. I've tried to start my own small army. Um, <laughs> and because I've made a significant amount of money, I am able to afford multiple TVs throughout my home. And if my children are not watching TV with me, I walk in occasionally and watch what they're watching. And if I don't like it, I turn it off or I turn a channel. You know why? Because I'm raising my kids. I don't ask anyone outside of my house to raise my children. And, and, you know, they're like, well, you, you, you know, what are you, you're a role model. Uh, no, I'm not. I'm a role model to my kids. I'm not a role model of yours. And if your child is looking outside of his or her front door for anyone other than their parents to be a role model, you ain't doing your job as a parent. That's a true story. Out of curiosity, do you, okay. out of curiosity, do you still have the head? Oh, of course. Yeah. You don't. Listen, you don't start a relationship and just end it, okay? I'm in That's it for right. the long haul. <laughs> awesome. They actually cut one of the questions I had for you was that they actually pulled all your action figures from Walmart because somebody complained about it being oh, disrespectful, right? It, this is how idiotic this country's gotten. Exactly. Two women that were assistant professors of communication. I don't care if they're women, they could be two men, okay? but they were assistant professors of all things communication, went into a Walmart and without doing any actual, because, hey, we live in a day and age where we can all get away with this. They, back then, you didn't have social media. Now we do, it's even 100 times worse. Okay, and social media is not to blame you are and how you use it. Um, they went into a Walmart, their kids saw my action figure, they saw a photo of me with the head, they did no homework, they didn't do any research, they jumped to conclusions and then decided that they were going to espouse their opinions in a public forum without actually doing anything to discover what it was. Of course, the Atlanta Constitution, because wrestling was hot and popular, immediately published the letter. 
And of course, Walmart went, oh my God, let's take it off the shelves. Now keep in mind, during that time, you could still show up at Walmart, buy a gun and ammo and a hunting knife so you could dismember the body. But yeah. still to this day, I'm on their top 25 list of things they will not sell as it is an endangerment to the community. <laughs> That's unbelievable. I'm number five, okay? <laughs> number one's pregnant Barbie. <laughs> uh, uh, I know back in the day, uh, one of your best friends was obviously Mankind or Mick Foley. Uh, you still talk to him? Yeah, once in a while, yeah. Especially if I'm having a hard time to sleep at night, I'll call him up and, you know, it'll put me right under, so. How <laughs> <laughs> was cutting promos with The Rock? Oh, it was, it's fun. It was easy. I mean, you know, you, you, you don't have to, you know, you just react and just do what you think is right and you just play off each other. It's not a, it's not a very difficult thing to do. I was working with Heyman in ECW and – can you also say your favorite Chris Candido story? Um, working with Heyman was, you know, it was, was awesome. I mean, Paul had no real plans for me. I mean, I was put on loan there um, because they, I, I tried to quit uh, WWE at the time and um, because I knew I couldn't stay there because if I did, I wouldn't go, I wouldn't go anywhere. I had to go someplace else to basically reinvent myself and get myself over to where either Paul would pay to keep me, Eric Bischoff would pay to steal me, or Vince would pay to get me back. And, um, you know, it was important, and thanks to Chris, I mean, Chris Candido, God bless his heart, he went to Paul, and Paul went to, you know, the office, and, and that was how I got put on loan over to ECW. But Paul had no real plans for me, but the one thing that Paul always did <clears throat> was he, gave, he allowed his talent to be his talent and allowed them to do what they did. And, you know, Paul's a great producer because he doesn't, he doesn't dictate, he doesn't define you. He works with what you're doing. And, you know, for a long time, he had no, he had no intentions of doing anything. To me, it was the fact that I did get over that, that he decided to capitalize and avoid it, which I tried to tell everybody, you know, promoters don't make you a star. You know, that's a myth. You make yourself a star you give them something to exploit and then they capitalize on it and together you make money and candido uh man to this day i still miss him so much i mean it breaks my heart every time i think about you know him passing away um he was such a wonderful human being he was such a incredible talent um he was so much fun to get in the ring with and you know um perform with and I just, you're not, you're not going to find another guy like Chris Candido probably ever again. You know, he's a once in a lifetime kind of guy. That's for sure. That's for sure. I was a big fan of his. Another one that, uh, another one that we miss, obviously all of us miss is uh, Owen Hart. Did you uh, work with him much? Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, I was the match right before that night in Kansas city and, you know, I got to the hotel and, and just broke, broke down and cried, you know, um, you know, when they asked to do one of those testimonials, I broke down and cried again because, you know, and it never yeah. gets easier. You know, we, I just lost Shad, you know, and I, I've, you know, I've been blessed because I get to meet and know and create relationships with so many amazing people. I mean, I'm genuinely blessed, but it doesn't get easier as you get older to keep losing so many as well. I mean, it just, each one is 
you know, makes it just, again, it, it's, it's not like you go, Oh, well, that's another one gone. You just age time. It just tears you up. Yeah. Oh, um, for sure. You, even you a if, favorite ECW moment? Uh, probably the entrance at the Asbury park pay-per-view. Um, that was pretty incredible, but, you know, people ask like when your favorite moment is, but I got to say I've had 38 years of being blessed to do what I love to do for a living and not have to do anything else. I mean, I've been on vacation for, you know, long, nearly 40 years. <laughs> I haven't had to work a day <laughs> yeah. in my life. You know, it's been pretty <laughs> awesome. So I ain't got no complaints, you know. It's tough to pick you- just one moment, though. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, especially a legend like you. Do you, uh, do you ever keep in ta- contact with uh, either uh, Ric Flair or Hulk Hogan at all? Uh, when we see each other, you know, just like with all the boys, I mean, you, we go to, you know, conventions or things like that. It's kind of like, a, it's like, um, like a family reunion for us, you know. Um, we get to connect again and, you know, meet up and, you know, shoot the shit have fun and then then you go out and you gotta you know because life's the one thing i've learned about living is that life's relentless it never stops so you just got to keep going and then you get those chances those opportunities and you meet and you reconnect it's pretty awesome you ever get down to clearwater florida where hogan's beach shop is uh we were we just went down into port ritchie and then we went over to destin um, just this past week, but um, I haven't been down to Clearwater in quite a while. So <clears throat> if I ever do, I'll get down there. I'd like I'd go check it out. Hulk, hey, Hulk's an awesome guy. I mean, he 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 really is. And Jimmy Hart, and you know, they're great people. They really genuinely are. Because they're both there pretty much all the time. Yeah, they're they're, you know, and if they weren't, I'd I'd straight up tell you. I'd say they're a dick, but they're not. They're, yeah. <laughs> they're good people. <laughs> You must uh, still train quite a bit, eh? You're pretty jacked there. You're in better shape oh. now than you were in the wrestling days. <laughs> uh, it's all curb appeal, guys. That's, you know, <laughs> from the street, it looks amazing. But, you know, when you get up, then you find out, like, the hinges are starting to get kind of rusty and you got to put grease on them on a regular basis. The plumbing's starting to back up. The sewer's not good anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Floorboards are starting to warp. You know, <laughs> shingles are starting to come off the roof. It's 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 all curb appeal, man. It's all vinyl siding. That's all it is. Can you tell, can you tell me about gut check and Joey Ryan? Oh, uh, Joey Ryan. Um, Joey. What people don't realize with gut check is that gut check uh, was an awesome. It was truly what it was, which was an opportunity for guys that had been wrestling for some time and had not gained some kind of national exposure. And it, you know, and again, you make yourself a star and literally Joey went out there and he took that opportunity and he created a a situation that then when he came backstage, Eric Bischoff was the guy that was like, that's it. We, you know, and he came up he came up with the whole deal. That was, that was all because Joey did it because Joey stood up to Taz, you know, and caught, caught Eric Bischoff and Bruce Pritchard caught their attention. You know, that was what that gut check was. It was create a platform to where you could take advantage of it and create a 
moment that might get you an opportunity to go forward. And he did it. No question or doubt about it. He did. Okay, I got one favorite WWE moment and who was the best and worst wrestler that you've ever wrestled with? Some guys can be more challenging to you have to adapt or try to uh, work around. But, you know, there's nobody that's really per se bad um, as far as W, especially on the level of WWE. I mean, it's just, of course, you know, they're, they're you know, but they, there aren't like what you guys think are workers. There, there aren't many of those left, um, you know, um, and some, you know, and, and that's not a knock on anyone in particular, but there are some guys you go out there and and you just have a chemistry with. And it, it's like we called it a night off. You went out there and, man, it was just all you had to do was just be in the ring with them and you didn't have to talk. And you just instinctually, both of you knew what to do, when to do it, why to do it, to get the people to react as much as you wanted, when you wanted, at a pace you wanted. And then there are other nights you go out there with guys and, you know, it's like pulling teeth. You know, it literally is just as painful as having your teeth pulled. I mean, it's, it's, you know, you, you're working your, your, your ass off and you're just, for whatever reason, it just, you guys are on two different pages and just don't click. I, you know, like Brad Armstrong, I would have matches with Brad Armstrong and for whatever reason we ran hot and cold one night, man, we just go out there and it was like nothing, just easy, man. You could just, it flowed and I, I, and I can't verbalize it so that you guys can appreciate and understand it. And then there was the net, you'd do it the very next time. And it was like, you guys were just like, you know, you're bumping heads and you're just, you're getting in each other's way. And it's like, what happened? And then the very next night you'd go work again and it'd be like, oh, we're back to it again. Ooh, that's great. And then the next night, boom, you're bumping heads again. It's like, what the hell is happening? You know. So. Yeah. Are you, uh, are you still the owner of Ohio Valley Wrestling? Oh yeah, yeah. I I still own OVW and we're still operational. I mean, on a limited. I mean, we're producing TV on a regular basis, but I just in a different. I got to do compilation type shows and things. So. Right on. Yeah, I'm a huge Bengals fan, so I've always wanted to go down to Ohio and check it out down there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, come on down. We uh, you know, when we get back operational again, we we do TV live every Tuesday outside of WWE and AEW. We're the only I do believe we're the only promotion that does live TV outside of WWE. Was that, was that Midian um, streaking? Was that uh, supposed to happen? The what now? Back when you were when wrestling, you were wrestling Saturday, Saturday, like a gender, gender, match. gender match. Oh, you mean Midian? Midian yeah, Midian streaked. Yeah, that got started. Yeah, that got started because, um, and Perry's the one that suggested it, um, to the office, um, it started literally Midian and Kurt Angle had a competition one night in Montreal to see who could stay naked the longest in the locker room. <laughs> and then the next time, the next week, I think we were out on the road or something. We had to do these, you know, these meet and greets. So, you know, uh, Dave Hebner brought like 20 or 30 people with their kids backstage in New Haven, Connecticut, I think was where it was at. And I'm walking down the hallway to go do the meet and greet. And Perry's with me. And here comes Midian. 
just in his high tech boots and a fanny pack and nothing else and walked right up to the families and Dave Hebner and Dave Hebner turned around, saw him and went, Jesus Christ, get out of here. And he turned right back around and walked back down the hallway there with his bare ass hanging out the whole way. <laughs> and that is kind of how Naked Midian got started. So. You wrestle, you wrestle under many names such as Avatars, Five Star Ninja, Lee Cassidy, Shinobi. Those were kind of like when I started recognizing who you were as like 94, 96 area. Um, which one of those characters was your favorite? Whichever one got me paid the most. <laughs> and then and you didn't lose. What's that? And you didn't have to lose. Because the Al Snow, the Al Snow character, which is your real character, um, that got the most buzz of them all, right? Vince kept having to kind of lose all these matches. Oh, that I, it, it, you know, it was, it was that six and one half a dozen another. I mean, um, you know, I made the most money as Al Snow, and that, that's why I liked it the most. But, you know, the thing is, like that Shinobi gimmick. Um, I started that gimmick back when I first had my very first wrestling school in Ohio. And the only reason I created it was because if I was training a person, I'd run a show in their hometown. I wanted to make sure they had the best match they could have. So, you know, I knew if I worked with them, I'd do everything I could to put them over and make them look like a million bucks in the ring. So I literally developed that Shinobi character and, taught myself to move differently, to have different body language, um, everything, um, so that people wouldn't know it was me, um, so I could work later on the show as myself. And um, so I'd go out and I would work as Shinobi. And, and what was funny was at the time, and I didn't understand it, was I started getting booked more as Shinobi than I did as Al Snow. And the reason why was because I had more character as Shinobi. and. Uh, at the time, as Al Snow, I, you know, uh, was, people all would tell me, like, oh, you're the most underrated wrestler in the business, you're, you're, the, uh, you're the best kept secret, but the reason why was because nobody could define me, nobody could describe me to other people as to who I was, and that didn't happen until later when I, you know, had uh, cornered, I trained uh, Dan Severn for UFC, and then... Cornette saw me being a smartass on TV, and, and then that was what got me the opportunity with Cornette. So. Dan Severn, you also trained him, I know you just said in the UFC, but the person we had on before you interviewing was Lance Gibson. I, I, did, I did train Dan as a professional wrestler, and that was how we started our relationship. Um, and, and the reason that I took him on is that I knew with his background and all that at the time there was a company that was operating in Japan that was very, very, very successful called UWFI. And um, it was a precursor to what you kind of see what UFC does these days. Um, and uh, the only thing was that it was predetermined just like professional wrestling. And uh, I knew with Dan's background that he could be a big star in that. And so I started training Dan as a professional wrestler to go work in Japan with the UWFI. And then Dan came uh, and wanted to go to the UFC, which at that time, the UFC was completely different than what it is now. 
Um, for one, there was no mixed martial arts style. Um, you legitimately entered a tournament and, it, and you fought the first match. If you won it, you had to fight a second. And then if you won that one, you got to fight the main event. Um, so you fought three times in one night, not once. Uh, the other thing was there were no rounds. There were no time limits. Um, and you didn't know who you were going to face. It was completely random. Um, and you didn't know if you were going to face a long-style karate guy, a Muay Thai guy, a boxer. You were going to face an amateur wrestler. You were going to face a jiu-jitsu guy, a white tiger kung fu. You did not know. And there was no film or video that you could watch that you could prepare yourself for in any way to train for that specific person um, like you can now. Uh, you know, and again, completely random, and you're going to fight three times. So when Dan and I trained, I mean, it was like we didn't know what we were doing. We just made it up as we went along. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Dan actually uh, beat Lance Gibson. That's who we had on before this in his yeah. first UFC belt. Uh, was it that the very first fight? I think it was the movie Tiger. I believe so. Yep. Yeah, and and he and and the movie, he greased himself up with baby oil so that Dan wouldn't have a hard time getting hold of him. <laughs> I bet he didn't mention that, but he no, did. He didn't. Yeah, Dan and I were bitching about that to the referee. He was greased like a pig. I mean, from head to toe, <laughs> it was ridiculous. <laughs> big Big John, the 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 referee with the dark hair. We were yeah. bitching at Big John about the fact that he was greased up like he was. Because he didn't, you know, he, Dan, he couple times Dan, Dan grabbed a hold of him and he couldn't keep a hold of him because he squirmed out of it because he was so greased up. Until Dan took him down and then that's like getting mauled by a grizzly bear. So you might as well, I don't care what you got on you by then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you wrestled Sabu, correct? Oh, lots of times, yeah. Mm -hmm. Lots of times. Uh, was there... Have you seen that documentary, The Dark Side of the Ring? Yeah, and that, you know, that was, I was interviewed on that, and that was when I had a bad attitude, and I was pointing the finger at everybody else instead of at myself. I'm embarrassed by it now. Oh, really? Yeah. Is that on the New Jack episode? That's the one I saw. That's what I was going to oh, ask the, you. Oh, no, no. I, I thought you were talking about uh, that documentary that was produced by Barry Blaustein. Listen, the wrestling isn't is not all dark and it's not gritty and it's not that bad. You know what I mean? You hear all the guys and all they do is they bitch and they complain about being a wrestler. And it's like, look, nobody drove to your house, put a gun to your head and told you to come do this. Quit acting like it's a cross that you have to bear. You got into it because you loved it. And now you're bitching about the very thing that you're doing because it's, you know, it, it turns out that the reality of it is, is that you have to put in the time, you know, just like anything else. But if it's a real passion for you, why complain? I mean, I, hey, I can tell you right question. now, I literally, I ate, I ate shit. I ate food off the engine of my car. I had to heat it up on the engine of my car. I had no money, okay, for years. You know, I got paid chicken, you know, gizzards and fucking beer one night. But <laughs> I'm not going to complain about it because those were some of the best times of my life. You know, and I chose to do it. I don't have to do it. You know, uh, uh, Bull Payne said it best. I rode in the car with Bull Payne one day, and he goes, you know, wrestlers are, are clearly mentally handicapped. And I said, what are you talking about? He goes, and he didn't use that word mentally handicapped. I go, what are you talking about? He goes, if I were to call you up, or if I, you were a wrestler and I call you up and I go, hey, I've stapled a $100 bill to a tree, and it's 
a five hour drive, all you got to do is drive five hours, unstaple the bill, the hundred dollar bill on the tree, put it in your pocket, you can drive home. You'd tell me no. But if I called you up and said, hey, I need you to drive five hours, beat the living shit out of yourself, and I'm going to pay you 50 bucks, you'd go, okay, when do I leave? That's kind of how it went, right? What's that? That's how it went back in the day, right? Because now they get that's a little how, bit. That's how it is. Treatment. Your listen, your value in in all forms of entertainment. Okay, this isn't Walmart. It's not a job. I can't impress that enough. Okay, your value is in direct relationship to how many people are motivated to leave their homes and pay to see you. If no one, based on your name on a form of advertisement leaves their house and pays to see the show because of you your value is nothing you're not entitled to dick in life none of you not one of you anyone listening but especially professional wrestlers you're not entitled to money i don't care how good you think you are if people don't pay to see you you're not worth anything if people pay to see you you're worth in direct relationship to how many people paid to see you Period. No ifs, ands, or buts. I have to agree. And wrestling is not the same anymore. That's for sure. No, it's not. Because the business has been turned upside down because so many guys have gotten into it and they don't do it for a living anymore. And they don't wrestle for you. They wrestle for each other. They're not trying to entertain you. They're not trying to impress you. They're trying to entertain and impress each other. I'm going to throw a John Cena right now, but uh, he definitely only does it for the fame. I mean – He's not a good wrestler. I mean, it's all about, oh, look at me. I'm John Cena. There, it's, you couldn't he's, be a, more he, he's a nobody. Yeah. You couldn't be more mistaken. That guy works his ass off. And the reason he's on top is not by accident. If he was what you said he was, he wouldn't be where he's at. This McMahon <laughs> is a lot of things. A dummy is not one of them. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. Vince wouldn't be one of the most powerful people in the world if that wasn't. Exactly. And um, for everybody out there that believes that Vince somehow holds you down, nothing could be further from the truth. Why would a man go into business and then go, you know what? I don't want to be successful. I'm not going to allow my product to succeed. I'm going to limit them at every turn so that I can only do the ones that I think I like. That's insane. Granted, he is insane, but he's, <laughs> but, but he's not that kind of insane. Do you have a favorite, watching all of this wrestling and being involved for so many years, do you have a favorite submission hold? Uh, favorite submission hold? Um, oh, yeah, yeah, a couple. They're actual real. Um, I spent a lot of time when I first got into the business because when I got in, there were probably two-thirds of the business was primarily either hookers or shooters. And I spent a lot of time with um, hookers. Uh, Al Costello was one that was notable. So I learned how to hook guys and how to do catch wrestling, submission wrestling. So there's a couple that I, uh, old ones that I like to use. So if somebody gets a little wise with me in the ring, I can, I can still hook guys and uh, smarten them up. I always loved the rings of Saturn. That was my go-to move as a kid. It's good. It's just, it's difficult to get them on if, if it's a shoot. Um, there's a much more painful one that's really simple, and that's you just headlock the guy, you hip lock him over, um, and then you take his arm and you key lock it underneath the back of your knee and you run your forearm against the back of his head and pull it up towards you. They will squeal. 
Ouch. <laughs> I've always liked the sharpshooter. We're Canadian. <laughs> well, the sharpshooter's good. Just if, if you're in it, and then he, when Brett would sit down on you on your lower back and then pull up on your legs, it would compress your chest so you couldn't breathe. <laughs> and you're like, <laughs> <laughs> like, please just get off me. I can't, <laughs> I can't breathe. God. Are you stay in contact with Vince? Uh, I haven't spoken to Vince in years. Um, you okay. Know, which, uh, obviously, I mean, he's, he's so ridiculously busy. I mean, right. I, I run, I own OVW and I don't, you know, and, and, and it, I, some, I work from the time I get up until I go to bed, probably two or three o'clock in the morning, every night, you know, every day. You, you were with TNA for a while. Road manager, right? Uh, I was a uh, an agent producer, and then I was an executive for a period of time as well. I was a huge fan of TNA when they tried to take over and had the buzz going that AEW kind of has right now. Uh, why did TNA go back to the square ring? They're big. I really love the gimmick of the octagon. I, I really, I don't know. I I liked the. Um, the six-sided ring a lot, yeah. and the reason I did is because if you're in a casual fan and you're flipping through the channels and you see that that unique-looking ring, it clearly defines the fact that it's something different and catches people's attention. So, you know, I really I don't know. I know a lot of the boys complained, uh, but let's face it, um, they're going to complain no matter what you do. Um, you could pay a wrestler a million dollars a year, have them work one night a year, and they're going to find something to complain about. Of course, I really like that. Yeah, I I liked it too. I th I thought it was you know the, the the one thing about having that six sided ring was that if you had multiple people in there, you really had to keep your head on a swivel um, because you it, they had before more than just the two dimensional direction. You had you know a mul you know you had six directions that they could come be coming from at you. So you really had to pay attention to what you were doing. So the so younger you was, was teaming with Marty Blanny on the new Rockers. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I was very fortunate. I was really lucky to get the chance to partner with uh, Marty. Marty is incredibly underrated. I think he's undervalued. Um, you know, uh, Marty is much more talented and much more uh, capable and uh, than people give him credit for. And, uh, you know, I think without Marty, I don't think you would have had Sean. And, you know, we had a run and it went, it didn't go where we wanted it to go. But I think that's, and rightfully so, I think Marty didn't have his heart in it because I think he felt like it didn't do justice to what he had already done with Sean. And, and I couldn't agree more. I mean, it was. Are you still in contact know, with Marty? I talk to him every once in a while. Uh, who'd you say your favorite partner was through all your fights? I mean, I'm sure you've had uh, lots of favorite partners, but if you had to pick one, uh, head, you know, they've always been right there in the <laughs> corner. They don't, they don't, you know, they know the spots. They come right in when they need to. They go out when they need to. Every once in a while, when we get in the hotel room, we'll argue and stuff on the road. But yeah, you know, really but, back on TV. yeah. But when we get, you know, if we get in a car or something, you know, we'll we'll fight. But you know, we do that in our own private area. That's <laughs> awesome. So you found that mannequin head on the way to the ECW arena. Uh, I found 
Head and I met in New Britain, Connecticut at an ECW show. Um, we locked eyes and we knew it was love at first sight. And that was it. And, uh, <laughs> we were there. Well, right, you know, sometimes it's a pain in the ass to travel with them because they don't like to ride in the bag. And I keep telling them, look, I'm not buying an extra ticket to put you in a seat because you can't even put the seat around you. So what's the point? And then they'll <laughs> act like in their own overhead bin, they can't breathe. And it's like, look, if you can, I can hear you complaining. I know you're breathing. And then it's like, well, TSA, I don't like going through the x-ray because I could get cancer. And I'm like, you don't see the TSA agent sitting there with a lead shield on. So shut up. Just take the ride. And when we get the rental car, I'll take you out. Yeah, the We Want Head chats were the chants were one of my favorites back in the day. I was a lot of fun. We, you know. Yeah, I was wondering. Head loved, head loved it too. So. Yeah, I was wondering if when they threw all the heads into the ring at the beginning of the match, did you ever take yeah. any in the face or get hurt by some all the fans throwing them when the ECW used to give them out, right? Oh yeah, those styrofoam heads hurt. <laughs> they stink. Yeah. yeah. That's some of the things that were those styrofoam heads were probably some of the worst. Like I remember that one night in Asbury Park and uh, Tammy, Tammy Sitch and um, and Francine were in the ring, and when they started throwing those heads in, and they were screaming, trying to duck and dodge because they were getting pelted with those heads, and they were like, "Oh my God, those really hurt!" And I'm like, "No kidding." Okay. So, what was uh, your worst injury? Um. Uh, I, I broke my neck twice in two places. I didn't even realize I'd done it. That was in Japan um, uh, until I got an MRI for something else. Um, probably the most unique was um, I'd been wrestling two cold Scorpio uh, every night. We were out on the road for probably 14, 15 days in a row. And when he lands on you and he's, he's not light, he's probably 250. And when he lands on you, it's 250 landed on you. And at the end of the tour, I went home and I was, I got home and I sat on the couch and I leaned over. And as I leaned over, you could hear my heart clicking against the inside of my rib cage. And I'm like, well, that's odd. And I leaned over again. You could hear it click, click, click. I mean, loud to where my, my ex-wife, I was like, can you hear this? And she was sitting across the room. She was like, what is that? And I go, hell, I don't know. So I call the doctor, you know, I run, you know, go right into the family doctor. He's like, well, what seems to be the problem? I go, just stand right there. And I lean over and you hear click, click. And he goes, what, what's that? I go, how the hell do I know? I'm paying you to tell me what's wrong. <laughs> he goes, he goes, I don't know. We'll get a bunch of tests done, but man, I got to tell you, you've given me something to talk about on the golf course. I'm like, well, that's great. I paid $150 for a doctor visit. So you had something to talk about on the golf course. That's great. So have you ever had to beat up a fan that came in the ring? Oh, plenty of times. Yeah. Back in the day. Yeah. Really? Hey, you, you always see that one big footage of like uh, Nash and everybody where that fat fan ran into the ring and they're stomping on foot. So you had to do that too? You got to realize boys. Um, if I see you coming, you're at a seriously distinct advantage disadvantage. Because you got to either bend your head and come through the middle rope, or you got to slide underneath the bottom one. I'm just going to stand there and I'm going to kick you square in the teeth. That's fair. That's fair. Um, you're technically allowed to do that, right? Because they are breaking the fan part of it, right? I don't know. Who knows anymore? You know, with today's okay, society and legal things, you know, by all rights, 
yes, I should, because you made a conscious decision to jump a rail and run into the ring. But let's face it, you make conscious decisions all the time and aren't held accountable for what your actions are, and you'll play the victim, and then you can sue somebody else for something ridiculous that if you'd have stayed home and kept your nose on your face, it wouldn't have happened. That's right. So you wrestled Chris Benoit? Um, only three times. But yeah. every time that we did, it was, it was awesome. It was, it was, it was, hell was, it was just one of those things where, you know, we clicked from the very first time that we, we got in the ring, you know, we never, we never spoke. I'd never met him and we got in the ring and it was just like that. Just, that was all it took. Who do you keep in contact with the most out of all the wrestlers? Um, it's hard these days. Um, uh, just because of the nature of the of the business, you know, everybody's so busy, and you know, but um, but uh, the difference is, I think these days, because I've gotten older and a little wiser, that um, and when I do meet up with or I do talk to the guys, I t- always make sure I tell them I love them uh, because I genuinely do. You know, I've spent more time with these people probably to some degree than I have my own family you know, in some ways. And, you know, so and you get older, you miss those guys. You miss, even though at the time you wanted to choke them and make them shit their pants, you know, but now you, you, you miss them, you know, cause especially the older guys, cause there's, there ain't many of us left. I mean. Oh yeah. And life's too short. I mean, you got to tell them you love them because you never know when they're going to be gone. Yeah. And you know, it was, it was, um, it was a different, a different world. Like if you were in the wrestling business back then, like there was a code of ethics and behavior and it was like being in the mob, quite honestly, it really was. Yep. Once you were accepted and you were, you know, and, and when I broke in, in 82, I mean, it was easier. I tell people all the time, it was easier to become a made man in the mafia than it was to become a professional wrestler. So for you to be accepted into that and then to earn people's respect and earn a spot in the locker room and stuff, it, it meant a lot. And um you know, yeah, when I think back and, you know, um, I always, I always make it a point now to tell them, tell them that I love them, you know, back in the day, uh, just sometimes, <laughs> but, you know, did you know, uh, did, you let that you, did you know Guerrero at all? Oh yeah. I knew Eddie very yeah. well. Uh, Chavo and I are great friends. Eddie and I were great friends. Hector, um, Mondo, um, Gory, I met a little bit. You know, but of course, I, I know all the I know all of them, you know, and, and nothing but absolutely nothing but respect, you know, and Chavo Sr. too. I had nothing but absolute respect for those guys. You, know? you wrestled on the grand, grand stage of them all, WrestleMania, losing yeah. the hardcore championship. But what was your favorite WrestleMania moment? I believe you were in two, if my notes are correct. I think two or three. I, I think. Okay. I don't know. What's your best um, moment? Uh, they just being part of it and being on that stage was an honor, you know, back in the day, um, one of the things would, you know, if you came into a territory, the guys would always like kind of check you out. And, and I remember like, I distinctly remember there was a guy named by the name of Johnny Ruffin and he came into Cincinnati at the garden, you know, he was just, you know, it was, he was working the opener or something like that. And, and then everybody in the locker room had found out he had wrestled in Madison Square Garden. And then his stock with the boys went like up. You know what I mean? Just rose. 
And I, in today's equivalent, WrestleMania, I think, is the same thing as what used to be for the Madison Square Garden. Like, if you got to be on that stage, that platform, you know, your, your stock within the wrestling business just goes up. So I'm grateful that I had the opportunity. Wish, should have, wish I would have been smarter and capitalized more on those opportunities when I had them and, I, and been able to see more of the forest uh, instead of the trees. But it's that hindsight's 2020. That's a good way to put it. Yeah, almost like sitting back and enjoying the view. Yeah, I mean, you just, you know, you're deep in it and you're standing so close to the tree you can't see anything else. So that's true to that. You put your head so far up your ass, you need a glass stomach to see where you're going. (laughs) Whose dog was a chihuahua? There was a, they got it from a veterinarian clinic. Um, They got a list of names of owners that had chihuahuas and, you know, that was where they got it. That was, um, I've told this numerous times, but I'll say it again because it, it apparently has to be said, but. And I'm not saying that, uh, you know, please understand that, you know, the number one rule in wrestling is you, you take shit and you make shoe polish. No matter what the situation is, that's it's your responsibility to make the best of the bad situation. But from day one, when Vince Russo came to me and had this conversation about doing this, I said, I told him we need highly trained animals, especially like the Chihuahua. I need a highly trained animal because I'm supposed to interact with this dog. Show up on TV the next week. It's it's a non-trained Chihuahua. So every week, and this went on, you know, that angle went on for a couple months. Um, I would show up at TV and I would say, uh, we know, you know, we need when we get to this kennel match, we need highly trained animals, all from the same kennel, uh, that have voice commands where they're told by the trainers outside the sell what to do when they give the attack word these dogs are on attack you know because what we're selling is the idea that the cage is going to be surrounded by basically four-legged sharks you know well, there was one match you had all the dogs around the outside well that was the kennel from hell and we literally show i show up in charlotte that day and i noticed that every dog has a different owner and i find out that morning they had contacted a veterinarian clinic, got a list of owners that had Rottweilers. One dog had some obedience training. So you've built this entire story about and around these animals, which even in porn, they know you don't work with children or animals. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> because they will always upstage you. And... We built the crux of this entire story, just so you guys understand that concept, okay? You tell the story. That means if we're going to make a Western, we're going to build the entire crux of the story around being attacked by a gunfighter. Or we're going to do a murder mystery and somebody dies and you've got to solve it. Or it's an action, et cetera. You get the point? You've built a story about these dogs, and now you can't interact during the match with these dogs at all because they're urinating, defecating, and fornicating to where you can't show them on the camera. Sounds <laughs> like my weekend. Absolutely brilliant. The uh, next question I had for you was, with all this corona stuff going on, the COVID stuff, and they're wrestling on those fans right now, are you still tuning in? I find it hard to watch. 
Um, <coughs> I'm coughing because you just mentioned it. Um, <laughs> I haven't gotten to watch much of it. Um, I admire the fact that they're they're still trying to make the best of a bad situation. Um, I think that it confirms my um, my uh, stance that the professional wrestlers, the wrestlers in the ring, the performers in the ring, no longer perform for the audience. They perform for each other because if you notice, they're not wrestling any different pace-wise. Uh, technique-wise, personality-wise, nothing's changed except for the fact that there's nobody in the audience. That's nothing to be applauded. You know, that should be an indication of concern because it indicates that whether there's two people there or 20,000 people, they don't care. They ain't wrestling for those people. They're wrestling to impress somebody backstage. And, and I know that there will be a lot of people that will debate this and will, uh, you know, claim that I'm wrong, but, um, you know, if you can, if you claim it and you want to debate it with me, that's fine, but give me more than just, well, because that's not true or, well, things have changed or just some ridiculous made up supposition that you've come up with. I can literally explain to you in detail why I feel the way I feel and then, and give you example. If you can't counter that with actual logic and an intellect, then don't bother. Just because you're insulted by what I say, doesn't mean that it's right. Your opinion. Okay. I always tell everybody I'm responsible for everything I say, but I'm not responsible for what you can understand. Everyone's got their own opinion. Yeah. And you know what it's worth? Nothing, because right. opinion is the lowest form of human knowledge. It takes literally no information to create one. And we live in a world of information, and all most of people do these days is they find one topic on social media, they sit there and they then hear one piece of information, and they've now become an expert. Real knowledge about any topic, no matter what it is, is you have to have information and a commensurate amount of experience to equate to real knowledge, not just your opinion. You're entitled to it. And guess what else you're entitled to? To keep it to yourself. True story. <laughs> I feel like we could definitely party and drink beers and smoke together one day. Well, of course we could. <laughs> This is pretty pretty easy interview so far because I know a lot about you and you're always been a good guy seen on TV. Well, thank you. I wanted to ask one last question. Nick Foley named you a couple times in his book. I know he was busted on chops. He's, yeah. I honestly think he is so obsessed it borders on he has some sexual proclivity to me. I don't get it. I don't understand it, but I don't complain about it because he's doing nothing more than continuing to make my name relevant and put it out there. So I thank him for doing so. Good for That's him. free promo. Yeah, I don't pay. Bring me up as much as you want. <laughs> yeah. People, people, yeah, think, people think when somebody speaks negatively about you that they're doing you wrong. Nothing could be further from the truth. If you're speaking oh. about me, that means you care about me. Okay? I, I don't care what you say. Because I know who I am, and I know 
what I do, and my actions will speak much louder than any of your words. So feel free to say whatever you want. Yeah, I feel the same way. When more people are talking about you, even if it's bad, it means you're doing something right. You're pissing off the haters. The opposite of love is not hate, okay? If someone hates you, that means they care enough to pay attention to you. The opposite of love is apathy. To be completely apathetic means that you don't care if they live or die or what. They don't need to exist because you're not going to talk about them ever again. You That's don't so die. True. You do not die when you breathe your last. The day you die is the last time somebody utters your name. That's when you die. Thank you so much, Al, for taking your time, man, tonight. We really, really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. Thank you, guys. This has been one of my favorite interviews by far. I'm <laughs> a big wrestling fan, so I knew a lot about you. It was pretty easy for me to just have this interview, and I appreciate you taking the time to let me take a half hour of your time. Thank you guys very much. I appreciate it. Um, you know, if anybody wants to follow me on social media, they can do so at the yes, Real Show. Um, on all social media platforms. If they want to follow OVW, go to the ovwrestling.com. We, are, uh, we produce a live television show every Tuesday locally on WBNA Channel 21 in Louisville. And then we also do it nationally on the YTA network. It's in 44 million homes around the entire United States on Friday nights at midnight Eastern time. Um, and we're also, we co-broadcast uh, we stream it live at the same time that we do it live um, when we get back to doing it live on YouTube. You can follow us at OVW Wrestling there. Um, we have a streaming network at OVWWrestling.com. And um, if you're interested in the only state-accredited trade school for professional wrestling, sports entertainment, and broadcasting, you can go to ASWA.live and you can find out more information about that. This is the real Al Snow. Thank you, bud. Appreciate it. Thank you, it. guys. Thank Talk you, Al. And 